Tennessee's got their offense out there. Yeah, I don't see a They're kicker. going for two. They're going for the win. Win or lose, I say good for Mike Craven. That's right, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to overtime as, as well as <laughs> we're you playing and, right now. You and I are in the same page. We're, Man, we're, we're playing overtime. really good. Here we go. Mariota looking around. End zone. Tipped and incomplete. He gives credit to Mike Vrabel and being aggressive, but trying to hit a slant in the back of the end zone just wasn't there for the Titans. To me, that's bad football not taking this game to overtime. Uh, here we go. A gamble from uh, the head coach, Sean Payton. If he stays true to what he's done the entire game, I expect him to go for it here on fourth down, even though the field goal gives you a tie. Quick snap. Everybody's excited here because they saw Drew Brees get pushed back, but he jumped up and he stuck the ball forwards. The side but you view. see the extension. Oh, he got it. And a kicker who's never missed an extra point in his career, Justin Tucker. Are you kidding me? The first miss in his career, he had made 222 consecutive extra points. That's unbelievable. All right, getting to the latter stages of October. You got Halloween right around the corner. You are uh, through, let's see, seven weeks of the NFL season, through eight weeks of the college football season. And on this early Tuesday evening, just an hour away from the World Series beginning, it's uh, posterity on the pod right now. What's up, Connor? How you doing, man? Man, I'm really, I love the name. But uh, what is the World Series? I've never heard of it. It's a bowling league. Um, oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, bunch of you know how it is. It's like Walnut City Lanes, you know, gotcha. just go gotcha. up there. Yeah, but I'm really excited about it. Two left-handers are starting in this bowling league tonight that I'm I'm pumped about. Oh wow! No man, oh. but but here's an actually an interesting side note. Like, and you, I don't know if this will flatter you or just creep you out. So hold on for a little bit. You got to <laughs> cover some slack. But so anyway. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. I've seen you in competitive environments a lot. Um, yes. Growing up or calling your games in high school for football or basketball. So, you know, it's funny. You know, I see in, in athletes today, like, certain mannerisms or certain competitive moxie that reminds me of you. <laughs> hey, cool. Like, and, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield, for instance, had nice. it. Um, nice. And the pitcher that's going tonight for the Dodgers, uh, Clayton Kershaw, who okay. you, may, you may have heard of. Um, I actually have, yeah. Maybe it's left-handed. Maybe it's the fact that he adds that kind of longer hair uh, that uh, you had when you were playing. Um, uh, you know, He grew up with Matthew Stafford. They played uh, high school football together in Dallas, actually. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So that's an interesting side note. But he is one of the most competitive guys, and he's... He's left-handed and and just uh he's gonna be a Hall of Fame pitcher. But anyway, he his competitiveness when he's pitching is like oh man that in a weird way even though Connor never really liked baseball like that reminds me of Connor. So anyway, That's take cool. take that for what it is. But he's pitching tonight in Fenway Park in Boston against the Red Sox, who are also throwing in a future Hall of Fame left-hander as well. So I'm I'm very excited. I'm gonna go to Buffalo Wild Wings and uh, watch it after the this pod. Nice. But, uh, nice. Anywho, nice, October's great, man, isn't it? October October's awesome. NBA's back, NFL's on, college football's in full swing. The MLB's got, you know, the beautiful game going. Soccer's <laughs> in full swing if you care about soccer. Yeah. NHL's going on. The MLS, 
I mean, everything's going on in October, man. Did you go golfing the other day? I did, yeah, man. How'd it go? Um, it went all right. I'm not a, that good of a golfer yet. I feel like if I devoted like two months of my life to golf, I'd, I'd end up being really good. I shot an 89. That's a, um, that's great. But that's no, great. no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I shot an 89, but it was a par three, so it's not that good. <laughs> um, that's true. That's a little less great. I'm still proud yeah. of you. <laughs> yeah. My problem My problem is, well, my problem is twofold. I think pretty much everybody has this problem. I, I can hit the ball straight, and I can hit it medi- mediocrely far um, pretty consistently. It's just I need a lot more experience in anything that's 80 yards and in and putting. Those are my two, obviously, my biggest weak points right now. Well, a few thousand dollars and a few hundred hours later, those will still be your weak points. Just uh... well, I actually I think well, here's the funny thing is I think <laughs> I think I would pick up the chipping game, ironically, really fast if uh-huh. I got a couple couple of hours sessions in, you know, for a you know three or four. It's it's kind of like tennis. I think I'd pick it up really fast. But yeah. Um, Speaking of tennis, Nadal is another one that reminded me of you, but I think that's just because he's a big left-handed tennis player. Yeah, Nadal, well, here's the thing is Nadal and I would play exactly the same type of tennis. Yes, yes, big athletic, just physical tennis players, yes. And, and someone who would just yell and scream all the time and stuff too, and, you know. I, well, I'm a McEnroe. Yeah, you know, you know that. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but he'll see an adult just yelling and screaming for the hell of it. McEnroe was at least yelling at the umps. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I love it. I love it. Oh man. Well, hey, let's uh, let's get into this. We're gonna bring up some examples of. Um, you know, some critical fourth down and fourth quarter coaching decisions that uh, cropped up in the NFL. Saints, Ravens, Panthers, Eagles, Titans, Chargers, and one college example, Wazoo, Oregon. So yes. plenty plenty of things to dig into, but um, it's never a bad time, I think, to take a step back with anything in life uh, to get some perspective, let alone when we're dealing with as nuanced a topic as we are every week to... I'll borrow a word that you just used off the air a second ago, to reframe, to reframe yeah. the topic that we're discussing, why we're discussing it, um, and to make sure that, you know, it's going to have its certain inherent uh, ambiguity, but we're not just we're not just talking forth, we're just not talking coaching decisions for the sake of coaching decisions. Right, we're talking about right. it for a specific reason. I'll go ahead and yes. let you take the floor from here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one of the things that happened is last week after our conversation, I didn't feel quite satisfied with how we had talked about what we had talked about. And the reason why was because one of the things that I want to accomplish with these conversations that we have is I want the overall framework to be well, how do we analyze the decision-making framework, the actual macro-level framework of all the decisions that a coach is making, and why is that important? And so going back to the San Francisco-Green Bay game, the end result of that game, whatever decision Shanahan makes in that game, maybe none of his decisions actually impact the end result of that game, but maybe they do. And so why that's important to me is – we talked about you know him going for it on a fourth and short on like his minus thirteen with six minutes left in the game, 
And every, like, I don't think there are that many people in the world who are saying you absolutely have to go for that in, in that specific scenario. No, I personally, as a coach, would be, and my entire team would have already known beforehand because. To me, it doesn't make any sense to be giving the other team the ball when you have an opportunity to convert uh, a first down and you know that your odds of converting it are actually very, very high, regardless of where you are in the field. But other than that, the reason the reason why I wanted to talk about this is let's start, let's stop analyzing these from the past and let's start thinking about these from the, the present onward into the future so when football first started um teams would decide which end of the field they wanted to defend rather than whether or not you would receive or defer until the second half and then slowly but surely as the game evolved teams started to receive first and then slowly but surely teams have started to usually defer first now because they've understood the, crit, the value of a potential field goal or touchdown in the late minutes of the second quarter and then getting the ball to start the third quarter, as you know the Patriots do that pretty much every single game. Um, and so, to me, what was important that I felt like we hadn't really discussed in the 49ers Green Bay scenario is the fact that the end result, whether or not they punt or not, the end result played out that way regardless and maybe or maybe not it plays out differently with a different framework for decision making but the fact that we are still relying on an old decision making framework bothered me and so that's why that's one of the things that I want to explore and I want to challenge is well why are we punting the ball and giving the other team the ball when we have a really really good statistically significant chance of maintaining possession of the ball for a few more minutes and for a few more downs, if not for longer, given how well our offense has done and knowing what we know about how offense plays versus defense plays in these specific scenarios. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I commend you on um, you know challenging our past conversations because um, if we're not doing that, then we're not getting better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the thought keeps coming to mind every week, and I, I gotta say I cringe a little bit at it um, because it's it's it doesn't come naturally to me. But if we're gonna be talking about hey, data says this, analytics say this, we gotta find that data, and maybe you have it, and please send it to me. But I sure as heck don't have a bank of that data of the you know of what works when. Um, you know, so we, we have to provide specific, um, you know, evidence. Okay. I'll start looking into it. I know most of my numbers are going to be older in terms of the numbers I've provided because I was doing a lot of this work between 2008 and 2012 in terms of research. Um, so I'm sure the numbers will be updated, but I would really doubt that they've changed anywhere in any terms significantly. Um, I, I brought this up off pod, but like, for instance, the data I cited in the Giants Falcons game that I'm going to talk about is data that the Giants themselves created and worked, went through with their own analytics guys. So some of it will just be from the teams themselves that I've heard. Yeah. I'll I'll start going and finding the sources that I was using before. Yeah, and that's you know that's I'm hope I'm hopeful that uh, we'll 
encounter more and more of those of those examples as uh, teams incorporate more data driven decision making processes. Oh man! And then the you know I just got to say too, at what point does data driven decision making where does it have its holes because the game is not played by robots oh yeah oh yeah i think and this is a huge baseball conversation my oh yeah it's huge in baseball so but i I know it's in football too it's in football too i think i think it's probably bigger in basketball currently than in football i think i think what happens what gets overlooked in the conversation about data and statistics in general is the potential for lack of execution in general skewing data. Right. Um, so my, I think my favorite example of that right now is the Titans are, what are they, like three and three or four and three or something, and they lost to the Bills. And the only, literally the only reason why they lost to the Bills, obviously, I mean, going back and changing the result of one play can then change the entire result of the game. But a guy just flat out drops a touchdown. I mean, it's in his hands. It it just goes right through his hands. There's no defenders around him. He takes two more steps into the end zone just based off his momentum, and he just drops it. And that's the data. Like, there's nothing else besides, you know, human error that affected that game. I mean, there are obviously are also probably decisions that the coaches could have made that would have affected the game. But that's one of the things that I think this conversation itself is going to have to be aware of and be overlooking at the same time is where human error and where the human side of the equation comes into play. And the reason why I say aware of and overlooking is because we can't ever quantify the ability and inability of the human into the numbers. We just know from a backward-looking data set. But more than that, also, we can't ever be afraid of saying, okay, well, I'm going to punt instead of go for it on fourth down because what if my running back slips? Right. Exactly. Yeah, see, and that's where we say, ha, he's coaching from a place of fear. Well, not just that, but, I mean, what if the punter drops the ball, too? I mean, you if you go into the what-if scenario of human error, you know, I mean, you could say, what if thunder <laughs> strikes the football in midair, or lightning strikes the football in midair, explodes it, and we have to call the game. I mean, there's just, uh, you, you can come up with as many outrageous scenarios as you want. And so, to me, again, to reframe it, what we're trying to to initially do i think and i think we need to to begin on this side until at least decision making up to a certain point it relies on data instead of relies on what people have done in the past is we need to say hey this is what the data show and until we start doing this we should probably start doing this until we're proven wrong and until until the records you know, over a large sample size, start saying, well, no, the data might have been saying this, but it was because the sample sizes were too small or, or some other, you know, statistical sampling was wrong. So here's here's a good example of my thinking on this. So two-point conversion attempts are just barely over 50% conversion successes right now. I think it's like 53 or 54%. Um, and I would bet you money. I would bet you a lot of money that if 
the NFL eliminated PATs, and every team had to go for it on two point for two points after every single touchdown. I bet you money that the conversion success would be up over two thirds and maybe even up over seventy percent over the next five year period. If teams knew they had to go for it every if time. If teams knew they had to go for it every time, even if the defense knew they had to go for it every time, because all of a sudden it becomes something that you had to become proficient at in order to be get to get better at scoring more points for your team and thus be better at winning games. Yeah, I I would tend to agree with you. Yeah, I'd be fascinated by the comparison of success rates of two point conversions and fourth and shorts. Fourth and two and less. Interesting. Um, that, see that, and that would be a really good example. There's a few possible backfires to that. One, obviously, being area that the defense has mm-hmm, to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the the point behind that is what we're looking at right now is is a very specific data set, which is usually when the team goes for it. First of all, it's not that large of a data set because most teams don't go for it. Go for two. And the second thing is. Um, Usually it's a make-or-break play where it's a pressure-filled situation, whereas as as you got a larger and larger data set and as these became more and more commonplace, yeah. I think you'd run into a lot more scenarios where um, the Giants went for it on two the other night, um, and all they did was they ran a simple running play to Barkley because all you need is three yards, and it Sometimes all you need to do is let's I'll let Barkley meet a linebacker in the middle of the hole and have him just fall forward for three yards. Yeah, I mean it's as simple as that. And so I think what would actually happen is the play itself would become a simplified play for the offense. Ironically enough, and you realize that the the efficiency of the play and the simplicity of the play can actually be dumbed down. Ironically, too. Hey, we can actually run the ball forty five percent of the time here and pass the ball sixty five percent. Instead of, I'm guessing the passing rate on third on two point conversions is over seventy percent right now. Yeah, it's way too high. It's way too high. Um, um, you know, it's interesting. So that Giants Falcons game from last night, Monday Night Football. There are two instances of going it for two. Uh, the first one comes when the Giants score a touchdown. Which, by the way, Giants scoring a touchdown is something to celebrate this year. Uh, just yep. as rare an occurrence that is. So they score a touchdown to turn a 20-6 to game into a 20-12 to game. Yeah. And this is with 4.47 left to go in the fourth quarter. So they could have kicked the extra point to make it a seven-point game with 4.47 yep. to go. Pretty conventional. Yep. Instead, they attempt a two-point conversion to try to make it a six-point game with 4.47 to go. Um, and they end up failing. It's that little smash-out route to, to Beckham. And it's, you know, the defender challenges it really well, but he doesn't touch the ball, and ultimately Beckham drops it. So on one hand... Pat Shermer did his job. He put his kind of position to succeed, and his best player failed. Um, right. What did you make of that decision? Um, so I heard afterward that the Giants analytics staff ran the numbers, and they say that your chances of success going for it, going for two in that scenario, and then of winning the game later on, are higher by going for two down two 
down 14 points than of going for one. Um, so given I like the decision because it was made from a, a data-driven decision-making framework. So I'm not, I don't mind that. And then the fact that, hey, sometimes you just don't execute. You have to live with that. I think what, um, you know, what I would what I would do in that scenario, ironically enough, is if the defense holds Atlanta instead of giving up, you know, 46 yards to give Atlanta a chance to kick a 56-yard field goal, and then that guy actually makes it, um, you know, the Giants went down and scored again. So I, I personally, I like it. I like it because, the down, again, the downside of that, of that call is, okay, well, we need the ball back anyway. We know that, I mean, Justin Tucker, the most, the guy who's never missed a PAT just missed a PAT. So we know that PATs are no longer automatic, although we, we know that they are high statistic, highly likely to be made. But if we make this and then we either miss the PAT or make it, we're either going to be up one or tied. I, I like I like it. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, but here's the thing: like, I will generally like it whenever any coach goes for two at all, <laughs> and I, because of what we just said, you it's more likely to convert than not, even if it's slightly. It's fifty-four to forty-six, right? Right. I think that's it. It's you either know? fifty-three or fifty-four <laughs> percent, and it shows aggression, which. Maybe it's irrational, but my default is to appreciate aggression, uh, the right. aggression mindset. Now, you know, maybe we bo- we need to be mindful of when going for two is not the right thing to do. Um, you know, maybe we'll encounter one of those scenarios this pod. Maybe uh, we will later on. But well, I think I think this particular scenario, what the worst possible downside, aside from the Giants' defense giving up a score, is you're down one score and one two point conversion still. Yes. And I think I think when that's your worst possible downside, that that's not a bad downside to have. It's not, and especially when the upside is if you convert, your touchdown and extra point away from winning the game. Exactly, and that's that's why I like it because to me, to me, every decision you make is essentially weighing some form of risk and reward. And although, again, like you, I lean toward the aggressive side of things, and you know that's that's just my inherent bias and. So you have everyone has to take that with a grain of salt when you're listening to me. But just in general, I mean, when you're that trade off is okay. Well, I'm still within, no matter what, I'm within a touchdown and a two point conversion versus putting a huge amount of pressure on them. I I, I liked that. I liked that decision. I liked the fact more than anything. I liked the fact that it was made because this guy had gone and done some work on on making the decision and he said look this is how i make decisions and that's how i'm going to do it now should he probably be doing other decisions and maybe even be calling plays where the only option is a swing route behind the line of scrimmage five yards to barkley so that way he can get tackled for a three-yard loss now that's another question but this decision itself i like a lot all right let's move on to Ravens saints what a game the oh only team Drew Brees had yet to be in his incredible career. No he kidding. beats them 24 to 23. You know, the the iconic play is going to be the Justin Tucker missed extra point for the first time in 223 career extra point attempts. Wow. And he had never missed in college. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Unbelievable. Hell got really cold 
uh, on this uh, yes, <laughs> extra did. point. Um, did it, you see the replay of the PAT? It's like yeah. someone. It's like someone had like a leaf blower or something, and just the ball just zooms to the right. Yeah, ten yards away. It was insane. It's incredible. I mean, uh, maybe he sliced it that bad because it's very. Uh, reminiscent of a drive in golf that you know starts a hundred yeah. yards straight and then it whew, there it goes. Yep. Um, and then it just takes off to the right. Yeah, but I mean the dude never missed, so why would he miss like that? Um, by the way, didn't Baltimore Stadium used to have turf? I felt like that used to be a turf stadium. It's natural grass. Yeah, it did. It, Is it? It's natural grass now, and yeah, and apparently, oh, wow. yeah, it was weird. And they have like, I heard they had weird video boards installed as well that changed the wind tunnels from last year to it. Anyway, that may have affected kickers, you know, approaches kicking in that stadium. But huh. yeah, it was weird. Um, it, but we'll get to a specific instance here in a moment. But I did want to they point did out. They used to have turf, by the way. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, New Orleans' first drive in this game, I love this so much. New Orleans' first drive in this game, 20 plays. Good God. 10 minutes. Good God. They convert a fourth and one at the minus 34. They nice. convert a fourth and two at the plus 31. Nice. And they go for it on fourth and one at the plus four. And nice. they fumble. <laughs> no! <laughs> so they didn't score on this drive? They didn't score on the drive. Oh, my God. It was a Taysom Hill fumble uh, wow. on some type of option that Taysom Hill was running. But can you believe that? You confer, you go for it, first of all, on three fourth downs on your opening drive. That's awesome. They, by the way, converted a third and 12 on that drive as well. Jeez. I'm just, I love this so much i love sean payton he put him in put him in my aggressive awesomeness category or whatever oh yeah, oh, yeah. just awesome man three well, fourth down I mean, look attempts at what that, look at what that does too there's <laughs> already 10 minutes elapsed your offense is your offense your strongest unit and the unit that you want on the field all the time has been on the field for 10 minutes you're wearing down their defense already their offense has done nothing You've been in no danger of losing that game that entire period of time. Yeah. All like every single aspect of what happened on that drive, aside from not scoring, is fantastic. I just uh All because all because you're willing to go for it on fourth and one and fourth and two. Yeah, and that's it, man. That's it. And when we're talking about process over results, you know, process, team process. I love it. All right. Now the more specific instance, um, you'll have to remind me what caught your eye here because there were a couple of different things late in this game. Yeah, so what caught my eye specifically was, uh, I don't know the exact timing. It was in the fourth quarter. I have the play-by-play -play up, so I'll, I'll find it if you... if you. Uh, okay, so um, it, the Saints are down by three. Okay. Um, it's in the fourth quarter, and they go for it on fourth and one. Drew Brees sneaks it. And they convert. Uh, then, they, then they eventually score a touchdown um, and go up by four. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Uh, I've got it, Jason yes. He'll run for three yards on third and four to get to fourth <laughs> and one. Yes, yes. I got it. You are correct, sir. Okay, so it's actually in this scenario, Baltimore leads 17 to 14. 
It yes. is fourth and one at the Baltimore eighteen yard line. Are you kidding me? So in perfect field goal range. Was New Orleans kicker hurt? I don't think so. Let me check while you're while you're setting up the rest of the No, series. no, he wasn't. Will Lutz kicked a bunch of extra points, okay. I just find it odd that they went for it deep in plus territory on fourth down so much in this game. Um, but that's awesome. Okay, so yeah, fourth and one at the Baltimore 18 with seven minutes left in the game. And there you go. So some conventional thinking would be to kick the field goal and tie the game at 17, right? So how much time was left? 7.03. 7.03. So conventional thinking is kick the field goal, you tie the game up, the Ravens get two first downs, run about four and a half minutes total off the clock, eventually punt the ball, you get the ball with three minutes left. You drive down the field, kick a 45-yarder, miss it. They get, uh, they get the ball with one minute left. They throw two plays, get 26 yards, and Justin Kicker kicks a 60-yarder to win. Yeah. That's how conventional thinking would work. Yeah, I would just like to point out that you just called him Justin Kicker. <laughs> Did I call him Justin Kicker? Justin Kicker. Which is awesome. <laughs> That's actually, I mean, that honestly should be his name. He's been, if not the best, he's been the second or third best kicker in the league for the last five or six years. I think, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer eventually, not to put too much pressure on him, but he's, yeah, I've never no, seen him. Yeah, I've never seen anybody do it like him. It's amazing. He's been so right. good. So, so anyway. that that's the downside. That well, to me, to me, that's that's how that game probably plays out in okay. my mind. If you go by what usually happens a lot of times in football, I mean, you 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 and I have both watched that game before. No question. Saints, Saints were down. They come back. They tie the game back up. The Ravens get a few first downs and punt the ball, and then it looks like the Saints are going to win. Their kicker misses the field goal. The Ravens snatch victory from the jaws of defeat somehow yeah. because of. Stupid decision making by the coach. Copy and paste but, that game on a hundred others. Yeah, exactly. No but instead, it's fourth and one on the plus eighteen. Peyton sneaks it, gets it. Shockingly, right? They get a fourth and one. They convert it. <laughs> yeah. There's still seven minutes left. So your downside is you're still down three with seven minutes left, and your defense has held the Ravens to seventeen points, and you've got them pinned deep already in their own territory. So it's not like. I mean, obviously, they still could drive the length of the field and score, but their their chances aren't that high. Your chances of converting the first down are high, and you know your offense has a really good chance of scoring if you do convert that first down. So they convert the first down, they score, they take the lead, and they then they eventually win the game. The rest of the game we could talk about as well, but I really wanted to highlight that because I felt like that was a really good... I don't know why Peyton made the decision he made in terms of was he relying on data? Is he just an aggressive decision maker? All that stuff. But that was a really good scenario in which you chose the better option over a less good option. So the less good option being kicking the field goal, probably making it. I mean, the odds of making, uh, what is that, a 44-yarder? 40, uh, that is a 34-yarder. No, it is 30, a 35-yarder from the 18. 35-yarder. Yeah. So the odds of yeah. making a 35-yard field goal are going to be in the plus 85% easily. So you, you're, you're, you know, you're foregoing that to tie the game. Instead, you're, you're taking probably about the same, if not higher odds of converting to then have an even better chance of scoring a touchdown to take the lead. I just, I thought I really liked that decision a lot and yeah. the aggression in it and the, 
to me at least, the thinking behind it. Yeah. Well, for the sake of time, we'll move on. But that was a, an amazing game. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, it's one that when it gets replayed on NFL Network, you have to stop and watch. Um, I'd like to submit a scenario. Yes. Panthers-Eagles, Carolina, a team that I've got no problem criticizing. I just um, don't normally find myself wanting to give uh, Ron Rivera credit. when, yep. um, but Or North Turner, for that matter. Or Cam Newton, yeah. for that matter. Because he's madding, maddeningly inconsistent. But yep. anyway, Carolina trailed in Philly 17 to nothing with the ball. Entering the fourth quarter at their own 29-yard line, third and one. That's how the fourth quarter begins. They're down 17-0. They ended up scoring a touchdown but missed the extra point, so 17-6. They get a punt. They get the ball back at the minus 13 with seven minutes left, down 17-6. They go down, they score, and they get a two-point to make up for it all, 17-14. Then the defense comes up with a three and out. So momentum clearly on Carolina's side. They have the ball, two minutes and 17 seconds left to go in the game, down 17-14 at the minus 31. And this is the scenario that I just thought was cool. I mean, first down, second down, third down are all incompletes. Okay. Fourth and 10, down three, your own 31, two minutes, six seconds left, and you have two timeouts. Okay, so you you could kick... In this scenario, conventional thinking has been punt the ball. They will probably get the ball at the two-minute warning. You you stop them twice, um, stop them a third time. You get the ball back with 48-ish seconds left, and you got four to five plays total to get into field goal range. Yes. And the worst-case scenario, I wrote this down too, is what? Turnover on downs? Yeah. You can use... Maybe the two-minute warning, depending on the clock, 2.06, and your two timeouts to hold them to a field goal. The worst, best-case scenario, right? That's the worst, best-case scenario. Uh, that is the best, worst-case scenario. Yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah. worst-case would be, I don't know, like a pick-six or something. Yep. Um, but, <laughs> but at the same time, on the face of it, it's fourth and ten after three straight incompletions. It's like, what are you doing, running the offense back out there? But they do. So they run the offense back out there. Cam pulls a cam play, climbs up in the pocket, hits Torrey Smith. They've gained 35 yards on the play. And now Philly is completely shell-shocked on their heels. And Carolina scores the touchdown to go up 21-17. to Um, You know, needless to say, their defense got called for defensive pass interference. Carolinas did at the very end of that game. And they still somehow held on to win that (laughs) game. So shout out to their defense. But that specific scenario, after three straight incompletions, to still say, to have the wherewithal from a guy in Ron Rivera that I would ordinarily consider conservative and... um, um, well, actually, you know what? That's not true, given his nickname, Riverboat Ron, right? Isn't he normally a... Uh... They, they gave him that nickname in the season in which he took them to the uh, the Super Bowl. That season, mm-hmm. the season prior, he like never went for a fourth down. And then that season, he started getting more aggressive. Okay. Um, and he's kind of toned it down a little bit, but he's become a little bit better about those kinds of decisions. I just think the convention... When I was watching this game back... 
the conventional thought in me kept coming up. You got a punt. 2.06 left. You got a punt. And then they yeah. went for it. And my, since my initial thought was, what are you doing? I caught that initial thought and was like, ooh, I'm really intrigued now. And, uh, right. you know, I think that's obviously, you know, hindsight. But that is definitely the right call. It is definitely the right call because you're going to well, have to force. Well, I mean, let's, let, well, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's think about this. Let's think about what a punt actually is and why, why teams used to punt. So when football first started, teams used to punt because punting was a way to gain and then maintain and leverage field position. And now as NFL defenses and offenses, and most specifically offenses, have gotten better and better and better at passing, and as the game has become more and more leveraged to get more wide open and favor the offense more and more and more, the chances of you getting 10 yards on an offensive pass play, in my mind, are so much better than of you giving the ball away then holding the other team to less than 10 yards for three plays in a row, if not four, because you're playing Philly, all at the same time making sure that they don't run the clock out, and then getting the ball back, and then doing what you're already trying to do anyway, I think that's where you're really, like, to me at least, that's when the, the thoughts are starting to say, okay, well, it's either 10 yards now or 10 yards later. Right. Which ten which ten yards do you want? Do you want ten yards now while you still have time, or do you want ten yards later when you don't have time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it just yeah, I I agree. But so you would agree, it's the right call. Like, I would I would have made the same decision Rivera made. I don't know why he made the decision, but to me, <laughs> punting punting is almost the absolute last resort because punting is understanding like this is literally my best option that see to me a punt has to be your best option and if it's not your best option then you shouldn't punt the ball because (laughs) at least to me the team that wins the game is the team that has scored more points than the other team that is interesting. I would uh, I would love to challenge you on that, but I don't so, think I can. <laughs> so when you think about that, it is a lot easier to score more points when you're in possession of the ball, and it's a lot easier to be in possession of the ball when you're on offense than when you're on defense. Yeah, eh, that's very true. All right, Titans lo- Chargers in London. What a game this was. God, this one was, it was actually kind of fun. It it was pretty fun, uh, maddening and, and fun at the same time. Especially as someone that is rooting for Marcus Mariota's career. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to point man. out once again, Mariota's receivers I think had three or four drops in this game. Yep, yeah, that uh, happens. Not having Delaney Walker is a, it just yeah. totally changes that receiving core. Oh, but yeah. I gotta say, and you know the conversation for another time but when matt lafleur got the oc job at tennessee it was almost a copy and paste narrative of of mcveigh um because he came from mcveigh and he came from he he studied with mcveigh at washington he was the oc with mcveigh at the rams and then he got the oc job in tennessee with Vrabel. and it was just like let's just follow the narrative around matt lafleur and he'll be the next offensive mind and it just hasn't materialized that way. It's just a good reminder that, you know, 
Malafleur has probably been gifted with a great football mind, and I'm sure he'll be successful, but um, christening immediate success on him is probably a mistake because at some point the Jimmys and the Joes matter, and he's lost a lot of Jimmys and Joes, and the ones that he has aren't great. And they cut Richard Matthews, so. Yeah, I, I do want to point out once again, though, the Titans are currently second in the AFC, and they should be, well, they've beaten the Eagles, they've beaten the Jaguars, they should have beaten the Bills, and they just barely lost to the Chargers. The Titans are slightly better than what we think and slightly worse than what they should be. I, but they're 3-4. and four. I, I would argue that it's because of their defense. Because they they are three and four because of their defense is what you're saying. I'm sorry, they are their their record is three and four right now. Yeah, but I would argue that the success that they've had against some of these teams has been because of their defense and not the offense per se. I think that's I think that is definitely fair. But definitely. So fair. I, I you know more critiquing the offense, but you're right. Um, anywho. So, what a drive Tennessee has here. Get, oh where do, do you want to start here with this final drive? Is that a fair place to start, or is there something before that? Um, not missing? really. I mean, the final yeah. drive itself, I, I wanted to point out the receivers dropping passes because uh, the drive before, uh, Corey Davis, was it Corey Davis? One of their receivers, I think it was Corey Davis, drops about a 15 to 16-yard in route that he also could have ran probably eight or nine more yards. Was it Taylor? Was it Taylor? It could have been Taylor. It was one of their receivers. Okay. Um, he drops that. They still actually convert that first down. And then later on, Davis, um, he one-hands and doesn't get the get to the ball on an out route on a third down. And they probably should have gone for it on fourth down there. They don't. They punt. Yada, yada. Things happen. And then they get the ball back, and they go on this track that you're about to talk about. So there's there's nothing really egregious, but it's just – this is where decision making versus human error. I think that conundrum really can can be at, at play because you're at the point where do I even trust my players to be able to execute? Tennessee has the football down twenty to thirteen, four fifty five left. They go on a drive that includes picking up third and one, picking up a couple of consecutive first and tens, uh, picking up a third and four. Inside the 10 to set up first and goal at the 2. They're in the final minute of the game now. And um, then the final minute took like 10 minutes real time because of <clears throat> injuries and uh, uh, timeout. Injuries, and, timeouts, reviews. Um, setting the clock back NFL, 10 seconds by Anthony Lynn. Yeah, it was bizarre. Um, they get third and goal from the 3. And Mariota escapes up the middle. For a dramatic would-be touchdown, but it gets reviewed down to the half-yard line. Fourth and goal at the half-yard line, and <clears throat> they go under center and do a beautiful little play action to the back and uh, to the little lo- looping over the top to the tight end stalker on a little leak out the back. Who wobbles that, by the way? He almost dropped that. Yeah, he almost dropped that. Yeah, it says in the notes that Adrian Phillips tipped the pass, but. Um, oh, okay. But I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I don't think it was. He should have caught it clean. I didn't see a tip. It, yeah, I didn't see a tip either. But anyway, so they they get that. Keep in mind, this whole scenario, especially from inside the three and on, has taken so long that Mike Vrabel has had an infinite amount of time to think about whether or not he wanted to go for two. This is, oh yeah. It's not a. It's not a decision that snuck up on him. He 
got the touchdown, and he immediately put his hands in the air for two. Yep. The TV shows yep. him. Two, two, two. Yep. Mariota yep. says two, two, two. Keep the offense yep. out there. Yep. And um, they go for two. Oh, I'm sorry. The tip pass came on the uh, the two-point conversion, not on the fourth. Okay. Goal. My, okay. my apologies there. Okay. Um, but what they end up calling on the uh, – well, actually, you know what? Let's forget the play for a second. The analysis of the process. The immediate decision to go for two instead of tying the game with 30 seconds left. That would seemingly put it into overtime. Chargers did have two timeouts. Um, I am for the decision to go for two without any evidence. So where where do you stand? I'm for it as well. Two reasons. One, um, so one is you gave up two... 50-ish yard touchdowns to the Chargers already, so your secondary is struggling. Yes. Um, so, in my mind, putting more pressure on the Chargers slash, I don't want that Chargers offense on the field any more than I have to have them out on the field. Um, so I would have rather gone for the, the jugular there, the, which is what they did. Um, I don't know if that did play into Vrabel's decision-making or not, because the Titans actually have been a fairly good defensive team this year. Um, Two, the Chargers, to me at least, the Chargers have two timeouts. They had 30 seconds left. Um, And the way that defenses usually work in those scenarios is you're willing to give up yards to let time go. But if you have timeouts, then you're kind of in the catch-22 as a defense on what to do. So, And they weren't getting great pressure on Rivers with four. And so because of all of those things being at work, I, I think, you know, if you tie the game and then Rivers goes and gets a field goal and they win, then why did you tie the game in the first place? What What's what's your upside scenario in tying the game? Well, Whereas, right, yeah. Because if, if you convert the two-point conversion, <clears throat> you're in the same scenario as if you yeah. kicked the extra point and made it. You're still putting your defense out there against Rivers with two timeouts and 30 seconds with a chance to lose. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, the downside is, and we can, again, point to the most accurate PAT kicker in the world missing a PAT that same day, right. which means, look, they're not automatic. The downside is, you know, you miss this, the game is over, essentially, unless another act of God happens. Um, so just given that, I don't know for sure. My personal guess is that the data itself would probably say go for one. And the reason why is because the odds of you making it are slightly better than a coin flip currently, just in terms of what we know. And then the odds of Rivers getting the ball, you never know. Maybe the Chargers want to play for overtime too, or maybe they don't. You know, Rivers could throw a pick. You could get a sack. There's plenty of bad things that could happen to the Chargers. There's also plenty of bad things that could happen to you. But even if they get into decently long field goal range, the kicker could still miss. Um, and then you get into overtime if you get the if you win the coin flip. Again, a coin flip, ironically. And then you're able to receive and go down the field and score. I, I don't know what the data is about that. So I don't know if it's necessarily um the actual right decision from a data standpoint but i liked it personally and i liked it from a decision making or process framework because 
you're you're essentially attempting to shorten the game, knowing that currently your defense has been your biggest liability in the game. And there's something to be said for just the dynamic of a game when we're talking about the comeback team. Yeah, like I agree. Stealing victory. We were talking. It, it was the same dynamic with Carolina coming back with Philly. It was the same dynamic with New Orleans coming back on the Ravens. We talk about it in a different sense with McVay because it's often him going for the kill shot like midway through a fourth quarter with a touchdown lead saying, enough of this shit, we're we're winning the game right now type of thing. Um, But, you know, and but should we ask, and are we guilty of just buying into excitement at that point, just like wanting to see the comeback team finish it off, and therefore, therefore, going for two seems like the right thing to do. Um, you know, yeah, I, I might I be think, guilty. Of that. I think that's what I think that's what I'm kind of getting to, where I'm not sure what the data would tell us about right. that decision. Because right. to me, so one of the things that I know from basketball, and I'm I'm guessing football would bear this out as well, is that the longer a game goes the better chance the better team has of winning. Um, And so with that in mind, I think we can assume, even though that this game was close, I think we can can safely assume the Chargers are probably a better team than the Titans right now. They're better on offense. They're better on defense, special teams. You know, let's say that's even a wash at best. Uh, You know, the Chargers looked like the better team in that game for – the vast majority of that game, and then the Titans were were looking to steal that game. And so, to me, when you're when you're not the better team, you want that game to be as short as possible because then idiosyncratic risk can rear its ugly head and do crazy things. Like maybe the tip pass on the two point conversion instead of tipping and going out of bounds, tips and then hits off someone's helmet and then hits off, hits off another guy's foot and then bounces into one of your receiver's hand instead. Um, yeah, and the last dynamic was the actual play call itself, which was empty under center, which I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure the empty under center formation exists in some version of West Coast football. Yeah. Uh, but nope. I mean, it's, it just looked weird. They did have receiver motion, so it was like fly sweep motion. I'm sure they were trying to get the linebackers attention so they can sneak a tight end or a slot behind him yeah that's um, exactly what they're trying to do I, i'm i think that's the concept of the play but man when it, when you need your best play there it just everybody's criticizing the empty set under center look uh it just looks weird especially when it doesn't work but there there i go again with revisionist history well, um, uh, so i i personally didn't like the play i didn't like the play for two reasons i liked the concept and i was fine with it um but what i didn't like about it is one of the things that i personally really like is i like some form of either play action or read option near the goal line and we've talked about this before right and the reason why i like it is because what it what it essentially forces the defense to do is it forces the defense to freeze and when you're forcing the defense to freeze on the goal line because what happens in goal line scenarios is the windows get smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. And so how do you open up a window? Well, you open up a window by making the, uh, freezing the defense. Um, and so to me, what I would have done, is, and you know, I, we talked about this with the Texans, and they have two really good running backs for the Titans. 
I would have been in a pistol with two backs. I would have had Derrick Henry to my right. I would have had Deion Lewis behind Mariota in the deep pistol. And then I would have had whoever is the receiver that I trust with the ball in the air the most on the right. And then I would have had, let's see, that's three. I would have had twins um, to the left. And what I would have done is I would have done a read a read option pass with Henry diving into the line. So that's your first read yep. is a, you then have the numbers working in your favor for your line because you're not blocking somebody. So you got Henry either one on zero or one on one with someone. And all he has to do all six, three, 245 pounds of him is fall forward. All he has to do is fall forward. You've got that read first, and so you've got one guy literally frozen making a read and Mariota making a read, doing something he's done pretty much all his life. After that, if Mariota keeps, he has the option to pitch to Lewis. So if the linebacker scrapes over, Mariota can either pitch or fake pitch and run it in or pitch to Lewis. And then lastly, let's say the corner or the safety's coming up fast, I would have... Um, what's his name, whoever my guy on the right is, I'd have him leaking out into the deep corner, deep right-hand corner of the end zone, and I'd have my slot receiver on the left being my underneath man and just right on the uh, goal line. Yep. And so, I mean, all those different options, Mariota's probably ran some form of that play concept at Oregon anyway. Yep. First of all, so he has plenty of uh, experience with that t- type of play concept, but more than that, the the idea behind it is how can we make these guys think when all they want to be doing right now is reacting and attacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Because yeah, the more you think with the less yards that you can afford to give up, <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, that puts you on your heels and yeah. And yeah, especially when you have a, cere- a cerebral guy like Mariota, you should trust him in that scenario, no question. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, for the sake of time, I might just just add this as an addendum. Um, Washington State, Oregon. Yeah, no, we got to talk about this. Wazoo led twenty-seven nothing at halftime, so just absolutely ambushed the Ducks. Oregon comes back with three straight scores to make it 27-17, including an instance <sighs> where they had first and goal from the six-yard line and ran three times um, and finished with fourth and goal from the nine. Nice. That's job well done. I know, but... <laughs> that's that's, that's I, analytics versus human error right there as well, dude. Yeah, especially when you have a quarterback named Justin Herbert. How do you not give him a chance one time? All right, I have a whole other next week. I will go on my uh, soapbox about how the Oregon offense and the Seattle Seahawks offense are very reminiscent of the other. Um, okay, that'll be for next week. But cool. Twenty-seven to seventeen, Wazoo has the lead, but they're completely on their heels. They're moving the ball though. They're facing 4th and 3 at the Oregon 42-yard line with 12 minutes left in the game. They put the offense back out there, and as an Oregon, someone that's rooting with Oregon interests, I would say, I'm not a fan per se, but I certainly uh, pull for them, I guess. I was scared to death. I was like, oh, they're, 
I hate it when this offense has short yardage. Of course, this yeah. offense is going to get somebody open. It's built on yep. space, speed, precision, accuracy, and they've been doing it all game long pretty much. What would keep them from doing it on fourth and three in plus territory? And yet, they take a delay of game and punt. I had a huge problem with that. And part of it was because I was reacting to it in real time out of the prism of our recent conversations. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm right to feel that way, don't you think? Oh, totally. <clears throat> totally. Especially with that offense. It was unreal. I could not believe that at that moment they decided to go passive. Needless to say, the college punter, unable to cough and corner it. What a surprise. Yeah, Boots seriously. it like 10 yards deep into the end zone. Not even close. So you lose the field position leverage that you were looking to maximize. You just give them the ball at the 20 to a team that scored three times in a row. Oregon goes down and gets another field goal to make it a one-score game. That very next drive, Wazoo gets to face a fourth and six. So obviously, you know, more difficult to convert uh, than a fourth and three. Um, I would just like to point out briefly before... Oh, on this drive, by the way, they had a second and ten, and they got a 37-yard gain on a basically a hope ball, a 50-50 ball that their receiver pulled away from an Oregon defensive back coming down for an yeah. INT. So um, that could have totally changed the game in favor of Oregon. Uh, but Wazoo gets the 50-50 ball. They go down. They ultimately face fourth and six at the Oregon 34. So further into plus territory, 443 left to go in the game, and a further down in distance than what they had previously, and a shorter lead. <laughs> yeah. But they go for it this time, and they get it, and it looks as easy as a fourth and six could look. Basically, soft coverage on the outside, an eight-yard out, caught, turned up the field, 11-yard gain for a first down. And uh, they ultimately score on a – they go for the kill, to their credit. They go for the kill later on in that drive. Instead of pulling the air out of the football, they throw a – middle post on second and nine and score a touchdown 22 yarder to go up two scores so they go for the kill later and they went for the kill on fourth and six to their credit but earlier in the game they didn't those are just three notable scenarios that all had resonated in this game uh you know relevant to what we we talked about i was just surprised mike leach didn't go for it the first time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah it's amazing Jeez. how often these scenarios happen when you're looking for them <laughs> Oh yeah, they'll come up a lot, and I think I think one of the things. So, um, going back real quick, I I was really I was watching a little bit of the Eagles Panthers game, uh, and it was like first or second quarter, and Doug Peterson on their on an Eagles drive, they go for it on fourth down. It was like fourth and eight, fourth and six, and fourth and three, go for it without any hesitation each time, convert each time, they get in, score a touchdown, take the lead. Yeah. And I just I was just loving it. I mean and this is early in the game. It's a tie game, you know, all the things that we're talking about in terms of momentum and all that stuff haven't been established yet and they go in and they just take that game over. Now obviously they ended up losing that game. They lost the game because Ron Rivera decided to be aggressive as well eventually, but I, you know, those things I think I want to go back to what I was saying is a punt should always be a coach's last resort instead of first option on fourth down. I think that's my new mantra. That, that's so beautiful. A little tear came to my eye. <laughs> it's uh, it's perfect, man. I think uh, let's 
Let's take that. Let's clip that. Let's put that on our posterity bulletin board. Yes, sir. You know, if we're putting a you know posterity bulletin board, which is a great idea, by the way, I think. Yeah. We, we should just. I'll go back and listen to past posterities and create a bulletin board with some of our best takeaways. That's on it, man. Yes. That is yes. that is on the forefront. Um, as would be any given number of our final thoughts. Uh, that uh, have been good that we'll have to bring back at some point but oh yeah oh yeah uh this was great man thanks for taking the time and talking football i can't think of anything i'd I'd rather do so hell yeah that was awesome my friend um we'll wrap it up here but we'll let football run its course and we'll talk about some more a week from now oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) all right thanks connor